It is Personal Finance Monday and tonight we discuss what to consider as medical aid schemes increase costs ahead of healthcare consulting at GTC. Jill Larkin joins us on the line for this discussion. Thank you so much for your time, Jill. Pleasure. We understand that at least five uh, medical aid schemes are set to increase their prices for 2018. Talk to us about uh, this process. Unfortunately, I have to say that once again, the premiums are increasing above inflation mm-hmm. and, our pre- and our salaries aren't keeping pace with inflation. It is going to put an increased demand on people's take-home salaries. So people are going to be under increased pressure year on year as these increases in medical schemes continue to outstrip inflation. What the, how the man on the street um, plans for that or accommodates that into his budget is going to mean a squeeze on everything else in his budget. So the fact that it is higher than inflation um, and we all decide to stay on the same plans that we've chosen for the year, mm-hmm. we can't really blame on the medical schemes because all they're doing is, is satisfying our need to retain our level of cover. So the increases are simply just to retain our level of cover within the scheme that we wish to belong to for the following year. What's there to be said then about the justification that the medical aid schemes themselves do not have any other choice but to increase costs to ensure that they continue delivering? I have to agree with that statement. The justification is there from the medical schemes point of view because we all demand that we retain this level of cover through our medical schemes. So if we wish to stay on this level of cover, the medical scheme being a non-profit and not making any money out of what they do, Mm. they actually need to supply us with the benefit which we're demanding. And we're demanding to stay at this level. We do not wish to drop in our benefits. So the medical schemes provides us an answer for what it is we're asking them to do. So they need to retain the cost at that level to keep providing us with the benefits which we're paying them for. Competition in this regard or pressure from what other medical aid schemes are doing, what we said about that relationship in the sector? I think all medical schemes are under very similar pressure. However, some of them have dealt with it very differently to others. Let's use, let's use poor old discovery as an example. They've been wise enough to introduce the Vitality Program and have been able to attract quite young membership, although the age profile isn't exactly only young members. Um, so they've been able to maintain a certain level of, of increase in the age band of their scheme. Um, so that it hasn't shot up or created an extra drain on their medical aid, whereas other medical aids may not have been able to do that because let's use Vitality as an example. They may not have had that draw card to bring in the younger members onto their schemes. Mm -hmm. Some of them have caught on and introduced it in time, um, trying to, to duplicate perhaps what Discovery had offered, um, haven't been quite as successful as Discovery, hence Discovery being the biggest open scheme available, but they've been able to manage their medical schemes from, from a macro point of view on a much better way, much better basis than what other schemes have been able to do. So when we look at them from a longevity point of view, from the health of the scheme point of view, they are looking a lot better than all of the other medical schemes at the moment. Um, and therefore, you'll find that their premium increases are more measured Uh, more long-term increases, more accepting of the fact that their longevity seems to be in a better place than most other schemes, whereas the other schemes are all almost playing catch-up, if that makes sense. Jill, are other medical aid schemes expected to follow suit with increases, uh, seeing as right now we are talking about the five that have announced uh, their hikes? 
Yes, most definitely. Everybody will be announcing hikes once again this year. Mm-hmm. Every, every December for January, January 2018, will start a new year with new premium increases. Every single medical scheme will follow suit. They will all increase their premiums accordingly, and they will undoubtedly um, all be above inflation. I say that very reservedly, knowing that one already has increased at, at the level of just below, but still, most of them will be above inflation because of the increased pressure, um, bearing in mind that they do have their reserves to draw upon um, to be able to perhaps limit increases to a certain degree. Um, but not all of them have big reserves. Yeah. What then should we consider as consumers, as those who are, are subscribed to medical aid scheme in terms of trying to fit the new increases and fit our budgets into mm-hmm. all of this and all these changes that are taking place? Well, I can honestly say that very, very pleasing for us as the general public is that medical schemes have introduced their network benefits. So network benefits would be where the medical schema said, okay, we've contracted with a certain network of hospitals. If you use that network, we will give you a discount in your premium, right. which is absolutely awesome for the man on the street because he then can, uh, can get the same benefits using a network of hospitals for a lower premium and get the same benefits from a network hospital. So that would be his first point to start off with, have a look and see if your medical scheme offers a network and join the network for a reduced premium. And then have a look at your year ahead and actually say, do I have any operations planned for the year ahead? Should I be upgrading for those? Mm. Does my child need orthodontic treatment? Do I need to stay on a plan with a savings account or not? Should I have an above threshold benefit or do I never ever get there? Do I never use that kind of um, additional benefit? Right. Do you find that people do this sort of audit where medical aid is concerned or we just simply go for the premium cover hoping and crossing our fingers that this is the one that is best suited? You know, I can honestly say that everything, well, almost every person out there pays for a professional advisor on their medical scheme. It's built into their premium. But most people don't use their professional healthcare advisor. Most people don't even know who that is. That professional advisor is there to help you to make that decision about the next year. Should I be on this scheme? Should I downgrade? Should I upgrade? What should I be doing? You're already paying that person. Why on earth not just send them an email or, or, or make a phone call to that person saying, what should I be doing for the year ahead? Should I be changing? Should I not? Those, those people are out there waiting for you to help you. All you simply need to do is reconnect with them mm-hmm. um, and help them, let them help you to make this decision. What can that lack of uh, proactiveness uh, be attributed to? Are we simply lazy or we are just uh, not aware of what exactly we are signing up for when we do sign for medical aid cover? I think there's a certain amount of apathy, but most people find it far too complicated. Far too complicated to figure out if I should have a savings account, one with a limited above threshold or one with an unlimited above threshold. Should I be on a network or not on a network? Should I be upgrading? Some people, most people find it far too complicated. Hence the need for a professional advisor who does this for a living. This is what they do. Listen to your story and actually say, well, Mrs. X or Mr. X, you should actually be on this type of a plan mm-hmm. rather than on that type of a plan because you're not using your savings. You're not getting to your above threshold benefit. You actually live right next door to a hospital. Why not use the network? Those people are out there waiting to help you. Use your professional advisor. In tough economic times, is it such a horrible thing to maybe downgrade or downsize the medical aid package that one may be on? 
No, I don't think it's a bad thing at all because all medical aids still have a prescribed minimum benefit which they need to provide you. So when things are really bad, you still know that you've at least got that minimum benefit level that each medical aid scheme provides to you. So that's a big positive as far as medical schemes are concerned. And downgrading is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Downgrading means that you've actually managed what you want for the following year. You've actually taken time to have a look at it and say, well, I do live next door to the hospital. Why on earth shouldn't I be on a network plan? Or I've never used my above threshold benefit. Why on earth don't I belong to just a savings account? Or I hardly ever use my savings. I never go to the doctor. Why, Why am I not on a plain hospital plan without any savings? So those things can all be discussed with your advisor, and it's quite a simple process, actually. The conversations with the advisors, is it something that is new or it's something that's always been there, we just were not aware or people are still not reading their full contracts? Because I think of many years back when these things were not necessarily available to all. I think the professional advisor has always been there. However, medical schemes have never been this complicated. Mm -hmm. So you've never really actually needed to use your professional advisor on an ongoing basis year on year. What you've simply found is you belonged to a hospital plan or a savings account, or you didn't have a whole lot of choices. You belonged to whatever your company said you belonged to. Now you have 20 different choices of plans that you can belong to, network, non-network, with savings, without savings, above threshold, etc., etc. Now there's a big confusion. Now everybody just sticks their head in the sand rather than actually face it head on and say, well, this is what I'm actually looking for and this is what my financial advisor is getting paid for. Why don't we just use him or her? Generally, Jill, as South Africans, can we still afford medical aid cover? Oh, jeez, I wish the answer was (laughs) a simple yes. Yeah. You know, very few people can actually afford medical scheme cover at the level which they need. Mm -hmm. So most, most medical aid... Um, subscribers are on a scheme which is perhaps lower than what they should have Um, but you can't afford to upgrade so you stay on that plan or year on year you downgrade because the premiums are going up higher than your salary each year Mm. unfortunately for the most of South Africans they actually can't afford to belong to a medical aid at all hence the very very big focus at the moment on low-cost benefit options premiums or, or schemes that are available for, for people who are just starting in the, in the working world or people who earn a re- very low salary who, who need to get onto some type of medical cover. So there's a very big focus on that at the moment within our world. As a parting shot, what advice would you like to leave with our listeners on tonight's topic? What should we know and what should we pay attention to in this regard? So you get a whole big pack from your medical scheme every year. So it might be in an envelope or it might be on your email. Most of us just browse through it, don't even open it and say, oh, yes, okay, I'm just going to stay where I am. Don't just stay where you are. Pick up the phone, send it to your professional advisor, speak to your professional advisor and actually get advice on what should I be doing for the following year. You're really paying the premium for that. Why on earth not use the benefit? That's what I would say. Great advice. Thank you so much for your time. Head of Healthcare Consulting at GTC, Jill Larkin, in this week's Personal Finance Monday topic on what to consider as medical aid schemes increase costs.